to The JDO Show, a podcast about how to make your way as an independent artist in the era of collapse. My name is J. David Osborne, and I'll be talking to writers, musicians, filmmakers, and artists about how to navigate the current barriers to creativity, all while getting the most out of life. Thanks for listening. I mean, I've been in a lot of Walmarts, so it's not always a people of Walmart situation, but I live kind of next to the hood, so that's like the hood's Walmart. And that one is always up to up to no good. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the Walmart around here is where every people of Walmart story comes from. Because you, you live in Houston, right? Or the south of Houston. Basically Houston. So like some, Houston metro. Yeah, a little, a little bit more rural, but still city. What's your, uh, what's your favorite UGK album? First one. The first one? Okay, cool. Good answer, good answer. Is there other Houston music that I should know? Well, there's, okay, so there's Slim Thug. I know Slim Thug. Um, who else was from? Zero. Zero was from Houston. Paul Wall. Paul Wall, that's true. Pretty much all the chopped and screwed shit was Houston-based, yeah, yeah. right? Chameleonaire's from Houston, too. Oh, that's my favorite rapper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure he's everybody's favorite rapper. Yeah. No, actually, my favorite rapper is Mike Jones. Is Mike Jones from Houston? Mike Jones. <laughs> My, who? Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and I relate to that because when I was when I when I wasn't hot, hoes didn't want me, and now I'm hot, you know, hoes are all on me. So that's that's sort of how I relate to it. Yeah, yeah. He he really speaks to uh, the every man. It's true. Yeah, even his name, Mike. Jo- well, Mike Jones and Paul Wall, for that matter. They both have, I like it when rappers just have names where it's like, you know, Travis Davis. It's like, oh, you know, this shit's going to be good. He didn't even think up a name. Yeah, yeah. That's why Zero tried to take it back and name some of his albums after his after his real name. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, it's too late, dog. It's hard to do that. I was thinking about going by a pseudonym. You remember this back in the day. I was thinking to myself, maybe I'll just start over and go by a pseudonym instead, but you can't really, unfortunately, the name that you pick when you're, I think I was like 18 when I decided on the author name, you can't go back on that. No, not unless you're doing something totally different. Yeah. Authors used to be able to use pseudonyms back in the day, but now you have your Twitter handle and you have your author name and you have your Christian name. And sometimes all those three things can be the same, but it's weird to put your real name on Twitter, honestly. Sometimes when I see people who have their handle is just their name and their avatar is their picture, I'm like, that's some creepy voodoo shit because you're, you're putting yourself in the machine in a way that I think might be dangerous. Yeah, I guess I'm playing with fire. <laughs> no, because you have heathenish kid. Uh, that's right. Yeah, my handle isn't my name. Right, right, exactly. It's weird that I know more about your Twitter account than you do. That is weird, bro. <laughs> it's a little sus, bro. You just do your research, I guess. That's true. That's true. Well, I just know you really well, so that's probably where it comes from. So for all the listeners at home, this is Kelby Losek. He's a writer who has written uh, three books, right? Because one of them wasn't Broken River. What was that one? Right. Toxic Garbage. Toxic Garbage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other two, Heathenish and The Way We Came In are both Broken River releases, which I was very happy to put out. Very slim novels, very uh, 
realistic is the wrong word for them. See, I think everybody thinks that our writing is realistic um, because we use juxtapositions. So, you know, they're used to, let's say you have a, a, a gangster type character, somebody who lives in the hood or whatever. You're expecting things like guns and swisher sweets and but we'll have those characters, you know, doing things like playing Monopoly and watching Judge Judy. And I think people maybe mistake that for, for realism, but it's it's more just putting two things together that don't seem right, which is kind of like how reality works. Yeah, in a, in a backwards, like, full circle kind of way. Like, um, because, yeah, you'll definitely catch, you know, I mean dope dealers playing Monopoly and shit. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we went the more realistic route, I think it would be, um, it would come across as uh, caricaturization. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, honestly, it it sounds pretty ridiculous because I've tried writing shit down verbatim how I've uh, recorded certain conversations and shit. And it just looks insane when you write it out. It's like, wow, this doesn't seem real anymore. Right. Well, when you live in the hood, Basically, a lot of people who are around you, and this is not just true of the types of areas that we live in. So actually, before I go into this, so you live in, let's call it a low-income neighborhood. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it's very working class. Right. So it's it's people who are mostly like, uh, there's you'll see like five, six cars in each driveway and spilling out into the street mm-hmm. because nobody can afford, you know, to live on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's gone at odd hours of the day because they work serving stuff or they like uh, I think my neighbor does some kind of a security shit so she leaves at like four in the morning and Mm -hmm. um shit like that and is it a dangerous area uh no 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 Mm -hmm. not not if you keep your nose clean like a lot of shit happens but mostly it's personal Right, so like, right. like there was a seventeen-year-old kid who just got got the uh, uh probably last month. Damn, rest um, in peace. Yeah, but that was a, uh, I mean, it was some on the inside shit. It's not like there's people just running around killing random people or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to get back to that. So to close out the writing point, though, so the type of neighborhood that you live in, kind of the neighborhood that I live in. Like I said, I'm like. Uh, I call them the crispy people. It's those white people who never wear shirts, been out in the sun way too long, and they have to ride scooters and bikes everywhere because they got 50 DUIs. But um, I basically, most people are not either interesting or smart. I don't mean poor people are dumb. I mean all people are mostly dumb. And the shit that dumb people talk about is pretty banal and doesn't translate well into writing. Yeah, yeah. You, it's, it's like uh, because I record a whole lot as a you you said that you started doing this too since you moved back but um I record a whole lot of conversations just to have shit to put down later or whatever and uh you have to search for the gems like yeah usually it is just real mundane whatever type shit mm-hmm. that was what struck me about coming home from Portland and uh, uh, El Paso. When I got back to my original hometown of Lawton, Oklahoma, when I grew up there, it was constantly in the top 10, you know, statistics of most dangerous cities. And 
you know, people would throw beer bottles as you walk to the super video and uh, everybody was just, just wild. Not even on drugs or drunk, but everybody was just looking to get into shit or at least everybody in my orbit, right? So you're just around a bunch of crazy motherfuckers. And so in my mind, that place has always had this stigma of being this really kind of scary place. But I went back to it. My mother lives there. She's a school teacher. And she's like, I, she works in like the most dangerous neighborhood in Lawton. And she's like, yeah, everybody knows me there. I'm the school teacher. So everybody's nice. And when I went back, I thought to myself kind of a similar thing. Like, since I'm not in anything right now, this is a pretty okay place, to be honest. Yeah, you get you got to be in the shit to uh, experience any of it, really. Because mm-hmm. my experience as when I was younger and wild and a lot more was very much like, damn, the city's wild. What, and, what did uh, you do? How did you wild? You can say it all hypothetically if the statute of limitations hasn't yet run out. Well, let's see. Statute of limitations was like. Seven years. I am a licensed lawyer, and I can tell you that it's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, like selling drugs, uh, doing drugs, Mm -hmm. selling drugs to do more drugs, Um, random vandalism. You know, Mm -hmm. not of uh, not of any any working people's property. So, what would what would a day in the life of somebody who's gonna do some wild shit look like? Take us through that day. So you wake up and what happens? So you wake up in the haze left over from last night, um, wearing your your crusty clothes, and you uh, drive still still drunk and high to work uh, sometime during that shift, sneak off to the bathroom, do a bump, mm. catch something from the... Uh, from some somebody coming in to uh, say what's up, um, and really just going off on a whim, whatever, wherever the day takes you. So somebody I mean, texts you and says, "Hey, we're gonna go where to like a bar to someone's house." What? Usually a house. A house. It's usually houses, cause yeah. Uh, usually not enough expendable money to go to the bar. And then what's everybody doing? Just drinking? What? Well, when I was, when I came back here from, I had moved off, uh, moved all over Texas and moved out of state for a little while. And when I came back, I was ready to turn up with everybody. Mm -hmm. And so we would hit, uh, house parties or we'd throw like crazy house parties in which a lot of different local dealers would come and uh we just pass around so many drugs in one house Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and just get lit all night um and then we'd uh usually have like a giant speaker in the middle of the room there's always a speaker and people when everybody gets really high everybody wants the aux cord and everybody's like, hold on, hold on, let me play this song. And uh, it's the song that's on their particular frequency. And so if it's not something that isn't currently popular, like everybody's like, what the fuck is this? Some happy hardcore or something where it's just like, what the fuck yeah, is this yeah. shit, dude? <laughs> exactly. 
there was a lot of uh one night it was listening to the entire misfit static age album cool and we're just like oh okay mm-hmm. i mean that's cool mm-hmm. I, I like that album but right yeah no and then uh did anything ever get squirrely did people ever get you know a little out of pocket yeah there was a um there was one instance where i think everybody's everybody who knows me uh their favorite story of this time period is probably when there was this uh this redneck dude showed up and not like that's out of the ordinary at all because there's all types of people around here um very eclectic mix of people and uh the like if you want to shatter stereotypes move here because mm-hmm. you'll have like some black kid pushing like uh you know ak-47s who also goes hunting like with some big country white dudes on the weekend <laughs> <laughs> and uh but fuck oh yeah yeah so this redneck dude shows up and he's um someone I'm not familiar with, but he starts saying a bunch of racist shit and people are like, Hey, you you gotta calm down. Like that's, that's not cool around here. And, uh, <laughs> he keeps on and gets in this one dude. I'm sitting next to this big black dude at the time. I weigh like 80 pounds cause I was doing a whole lot of amphetamines and shit. And he, the, the black dude, the black dude I'm sitting next to grabs me by the legs, stands up, and hits him with me like a baseball bat. (laughs) (laughs) And so he flies across the room, like hits the wall, and then he just drops me to the ground. And uh, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. And the fight continues out onto the lawn and shit. But That reminds me a lot of uh, a story that I have too. It doesn't, the ending's not quite as good. Um, but it was a similar situation. This was a GI, though, because um, a, a lot and a lot of GIs would come through and cause trouble because it was kind of like their playground. Like, army soldiers, dude, can be the worst. But basically this dude was in at, uh, my buddy's girlfriend was Asian, so he kept calling her, uh, her name was Susan, and he kept calling her Suzuki. Um just like dumb shit, right? And she was getting yeah. pissed off about it, right? And so we all told this guy, like, look, you got to get out. And he just wouldn't leave. I don't know if you've ever encountered these people who are so drunk and high that they think that the way to defuse a situation is just to refuse to leave the area. If they can just hang on, then somehow that will save them. But so that wasn't working. So I was sitting next to this guy and... uh I started getting like really pissed off at him. And then my buddy Ryan came over and Ryan had never seen me get that irate with somebody before. So he sort of, the way dogs can sense it, like he sensed that something was was very amiss there. And so Ryan starts like pushing this dude and I'm pushing this dude and we open the door and we're trying to push him out and he's holding on, you know, like the alien in the airlock. And so we're just like trying to get him out as best we can. And we had this friend named Broom who's this blonde girl who was just an absolute psychopath and she was smoking a cigarette and she jumped over both of us and put her cigarette out on this dude's face. 
So he's like, ah, <laughs> and he, you know, ends up out on the lawn. And then the rest of the night, we just kind of watch him, but he's just pacing on the lawn, just pissed. You know, I guess it's good that he didn't have a gun or something because he might, he might have done something stupid. But so yeah, my story not as good as yours, but it, it's funny how these things repeat, and it makes me think maybe that's what people are pointing out when something feels real about certain stuff because there's these shared situations that everybody gets into. Yeah, yeah, and I've read some. <clears throat> I've read some uh, other stuff like. Uh, I read Welfare by Steve Anwell, and there's a lot of shit in there that kind of resonates in that same way. And he's from Canada, so I mean, right, right, yeah. He seems like he seems like one of us. There are people who I see, like uh, Sam Pink and people like that. And when I read their stuff, I don't know them personally. I met Sam one time, but I don't I don't know him. He's not my buddy, but I can just tell that they're one of us. And I don't I don't really know what that means. What do you think that means? real i was gonna say racist like, but yeah <laughs> no yeah uh, no real are. real is a thing right like what is what what's what's real you know i guess anti-brand or um uh, but that gets tricky it gets tricky talking about brand because if you're real to yourself then a, a certain like comp like common traits are going to keep popping up so it'll seem like you are like you do have a brand if you're just being yourself but uh, I don't know man it, you gotta look them in the eyes mm-hmm. you just know when somebody has like an air of fake around them it's kind of like, like, like another one is Troy you know Troy James Weaver he uh, I've, I've hung out with that dude many times and you can just tell immediately like oh this is just this is just a dude there's a difference, man. I don't know how else to put it. There's dudes who who write, and then there are writers. And I don't fuck with writers. No. <laughs> it, I guess you could even be a real writer, maybe. And I probably still don't fuck with you. Yeah. If that makes right. sense. No, like, it does make be sense. Real, writers... like, that's your thing. But like... Yeah, no, it's writers are th- these people who are... Um, I guess just really focused on selling or something. I don't know. I go so back and forth with this. Every time I think that I have a definitive answer, I go the other way because I mean, of course you want to sell your books. You want people to read your books, but there's this nasty capitalist element to, I don't, but I'm tired of that too, right? Like I'm tired of bagging on capitalism when I do it every day and it's, you know, a bad system, but not an all bad system. So we have no answers here, I suppose is what we're what we're saying. Yeah, right. Great show. Great yeah, this show. is good. This is good. We're shaking this the rust off on this one. It's been a while since I've talked to somebody in just a straight up interview format. It's been like a year and a half, I think was the Jeff Jackson episode. So I tried some other stuff for a while that I thought would be cool and I, that nobody really listened to them. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to predict what people want to listen to, and I'm just going to go back to talking to my friends, and we will see what happens. That's the way to do it. I think that's the uh, the only podcasts I listen to anymore are either like super focused on a certain theme, or it's just some dudes talking. Right. 
Right. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about music. What kind of music you listen to? Listen to like bluegrass and indie folk. Yep. You're and a big Boney Vera fan, I know. Yeah. No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I used to be like, man, I listen to everything, and I just I listen to rap music. And that's pretty much. And that's pretty much primarily what you listen to. Pretty much, unless it's something really weird like uh, the body or. Yeah, I guess like 90s new metal. And you know some local dudes there too, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I fuck with a lot of local dudes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luna D, fucking uh, Lord Bile is a dude that uh, he might have appeared in Heathenish, I think, actually, Mm. as in the form of some character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fuck, why am I drawing a blank? I know so many people. Yeah, because these are kind of the guys who sound like I had this thing that I said years ago where it was like rap is going to go through its new metal phase. And it really has, you know, Suicide Boys and Ghost Mane and all these types of dudes who are really goth and and use death metal logos and shit and have long, greasy hair. And their shows look like punk shows, but they're, oh, of course, I'm forgetting the king of them all, fucking Bones, dude. Like Bones is yeah. the king of that. Oh, yeah. And you and I have talked a lot about hoping and trying to get our writing output to the point of someone like Bones because he puts out, what is it, like four albums a year or some shit? At least, I think, yeah, it's pretty much every quarter. Yeah. Drop something else. And it's crazy. And of course, music and writing are two different things because, you know, in an album, you have an, an army of friends who are making beats and. You can kind of like listen to it, and if you have good recording stuff, you can, you can knock out. I don't, I don't even know how many. Look at somebody like Lil B, who's how many songs do you think that motherfucker has? Like ten thousand or something like that. It's got to be because any normal person, I've heard that like Kevin Gates has like well over two thousand mm. um, that they just pick. You know, they've just been recorded. Mm-hmm. So Lil B, who just goes in and fucking does it and doesn't even give a shit, it's got to be maybe even close to 20K. Yeah, and they're just all, like, a lot of them got lost with MySpace because he's famous for having made 100 MySpace accounts and spammed them with all of this different music. And that's, he basically overcame the hurdles, which, like, the hurdle is being poor and unknown through sheer force of will. And so to people like us who are writers who are also faced with this overwhelming obstacle, because let's be, let's, let's get into this a little bit. So if you're in the writing world, you kind of have to, you have to play the game a little bit if you want to be, if you want to have a big publisher with a big audience, would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then there are people who do the, the indie stuff and they're held up as, examples of people who can do it by themselves but them too are you they're usually rich dudes a lot of lawyers write books and then you know put a hundred thousand dollars into promoting it and then it's how did this sell two hundred and fifty thousand copies it's like well i spent a hundred thousand dollars on marketing and i gave it away for free and you know like it's basically a sunk cost and i don't know if any of those guys have a fan base anymore the ones who like the lawyers and shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I don't think so. But then you have somebody... If, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, like, even the masses, like, if you bought, like, a John Grisham book or something, it was to, like, cut out the center of it and hide your weed in there or something. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, so basically, looking at this guy Bones, it seems to me, I don't really know his background. I don't really care all that much. What I do know is that he was outside of the mainstream music industry. Now, I don't know how many people, because he is in LA, so I don't know how many people you meet at parties and connections that you make. All of that stuff is interesting, but sort of unimportant. I think what he really did well was produce at a rapid rate uh, and produce good stuff, but like stuff that wasn't super polished, stuff that was good enough. I think that's tough for writers, man. Just being good enough, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're like, yeah, because you're trying to like etch yourself in stone every time you sit down to write the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm kind of more interested now in writing shit that like could just burn mm-hmm. after it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, man. That's where I'm at too. It's hard to put yourself into that mindset. I've had this conversation with so many different writers and for 80% of them, it just doesn't click because they can't quite separate their practice from this end goal, this thing that they want. Um, And in a weird way, well, in a way, we're not saying that we don't want an audience. In fact, we're saying the exact opposite, right? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. But we're just saying that we want to get to it in our own way. Yeah, a more... um... It's like you want to reach that niche and instead of just, you know, wandering into the same overpopulated places that everybody else is going to, you kind of want to find the place where your crew is hanging out at and just go there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes frustrating because you want money as well and I don't know. Maybe it's just smarter to forget about money doing this kind of thing. There's ways. I mean, if you uh if you are more exclusive then the money is very much more it's it's sort of like bringing it back to Houston rap. That's why those guys never got signed cuz they never wanted to. Cuz they were like, why would I sign to somebody when I'm doing my thing here and I can come up on my platform? Like in the Houston area, everybody fucks with me. I sell the CDs myself. I make them myself. There's no middleman. I take all the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of building that fan base, and then, and then it's all profit. If you can get the fan base yourself, then, because that's all the big people bring to you. Really, it's just more more uh, eyes on your shit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I'll probably only ever sell like a thousand copies of any one book. So we'll see about that. We'll see about that. What you said made me wonder if how now I'm thinking how many hip hop artists will I never know about, but who are absolute kings in their own environment, in their own city, making money hand over fist, playing shows and 
selling CDs, you know, the lost art of CD selling. Um, it has to be plenty of people because, again, there seems to be such a gap between people who make absolutely nothing doing what we do and people who make a very decent living. That There doesn't seem to be a middle class of writers. And I guess what you and I are saying is that we are very comfortable with the money being, you know, middle class, anywhere from maybe 60,000 a year to 100,000 a year. Like that's all, that's all well and good. But like, it doesn't seem like you can carve that out unless you do something radically different. Yeah, there's no way you're going to just play the indie game and feel like big five level success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You either have to, yeah, just like you said, go crazy out of left field or play the big boy game. And the thing is, too, is that all of this seems to come back to this idea of do people read or not. And I always reject that idea that people just aren't reading because people read all day. They read Twitter. They go to Reddit. Um, people will listen to entire audiobooks on YouTube. These people are out there. It's just, it's changed a little bit. And basically how people ingest that shit has changed. And so, I don't know. I, like Again, to go back to somebody like Sam Pink, like, I'm pretty sure his books sell pretty okay. I mean, I know that he was doing all right for a while there when he was on Lazy Fascist. I know those were doing well. I would assume so. I mean, it seems like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, yeah, the idea of, you know, maybe if you're going to be writing a 500-word epic novel that spans generations, you've got you've kind of got to play the big game. Or a sci-fi novel or a horror novel, like, you've got to play that kind of game. But there's that sort of minimalist, confessional, working-class type book that I think people could just crank out. Honestly, I think if some people put their Facebook posts and their Twitter tweets and, you know, Reddit posts or whatever, and just put those into a book instead and just label the chapters, be really audacious about it and say, no, fuck you, this is a book. I think that shit would sell. Uh, Megan Boyle's live blog. Mm. I mean, That's an excellent example. I didn't read that, did you? I didn't. No, it, no. I I mean, it's on the list. It's just very big. The so. one that I read was uh, literally Show Me a Healthy Person by Darcy Wilder, who has a really popular sort of Twitter following. And that one was basically tweets. That was a book of tweets that was called a novel. But I sort of loved that about it, that it was this, you know, just finger in your eye type thing. Like, no, it's a it's a novel. Like, fight me. What 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 makes it not a novel? You know, the, yeah. my compilation of my tweets are actually a novel. I mean, we can accept uh, the sluts as a novel, mm -hmm. and I mean, just I, I mean, because it's made up, or right. what? I mean, it's literally like a gay prostitute chat room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know a lot about that, right? You, you hang out in gay prostitute chat rooms a lot. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is like. When I put mine out, I want it to be taken as a novel as well, even right. though it's true. Right, right. They call him the next Dennis Cooper. There's, there's none of the 
insane sexual violence or anything. It's just a guy being really gay online. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the title. Really, really gay online. Well, dude, that's that's Broken River 2021 right there. Um, well, <laughs> it's coming. I would put a book out called Really Gay Online. I think that's pretty. I think that's provocative enough that I would put that out. But um, but yeah, no, it just seems to me that yeah, people have this really strange idea of what novels are, and there's but there's been a lot of books lately that have have challenged that. You know, Blake Butler's Alice Knott was huge. I read that shit, and the whole time I was like, my mind was being blown because this guy was showing that what I think he was showing is that novels are what they're really good at is playing with time. Cause in a movie you can have a montage and you can have uh, you know, the cut. Um, I forget who it was, but way back in the day when the cut was invented, um, a lot of people thought it was going to be the death of cinema because you could now jump between times really fast. And now that's just what movies do. Uh, we wouldn't, we don't normally expect a movie to take place over one day. It's normally like a cut. It's next week, a cut, a cut, a cut. And that's the shortening of time. But novels have this amazing ability that, that film can only really echo in something like slow motion, which sucks. And you couldn't do a whole movie in slow motion. Or maybe you could, I don't know. Um, but novels have this. Zack Snyder would beg to differ. <laughs> release the director's cut bro release the justice league director's (laughs) cut i want to see more aquaman or whatever that was um but no but books can can dilate time so that's where books are really interesting books can digress and they can go deeper and deeper into sort of one single moment they can do a matrix style bullet time and really go into it so in a weird way minimalism works for a book but a book's real strengths are actually maybe in maximalism or like controlled maximalism. Yeah, yeah. I was just reading uh, Only Good Indians and thinking about thinking about this actually because there was a scene where uh, they're doing a sweat and um, mm-hmm. it like goes on for an entire, like a long chapter. And it's like some of it's present, like them talking, them doing things in the sweat. And some of it is like all these digressions of like backstory and just some like little insight into who these people are in terms of like place and how they grew up. And it's like for some reason that scene is done in a great way. Like it's not like distracting or anything. Um, or like overbearing, but, uh, it like that scene specifically actually made me think of this where it's like, huh, if they do make this into a movie, you're just going to see these two dudes in a sweat. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between the potential movie version and like the book. Right. Right. And that is why there are these, what they call unfilmable books where, I mean, people still try to film them. People have tried to make Dune over and over and over again. But even going back to something, you know, space opera-y like Dune, when you're reading it, it you'll go over, you know, years, like sometimes thousands of years worth of time. But then in a scene, you'll contract way down and somebody will give somebody else a look 
and that character will be thinking, what does that look mean? And then it'll go into their theories about it, and those theories will spiral off into different philosophical musings. And that's that's really what a book does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going back to our boy Troy, um, Marigold was like nothing but philosophical musings, just a dude being somewhat suicidal going to work at a floral shop and uh just thinking the entire book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's book is fucking awesome i think that's troy's best i don't know if i read i, think so. I didn't read uh temp- temporal i think was his one after that i didn't read that temporal one. was good temporal was good it was almost uh everybody's been kind of doing pseudo ya ish oh okay. either on purpose or like just uh it just seems like they're doing a lot of shit like that i don't think he did that one intentionally but it is like it feels a little bit like y.a weaver hmm that's interesting yeah i'll get to it eventually like i'll get it to everything eventually there's so much shit to read but i really yeah i just want to hammer in this point home to anybody who's maybe listening if you're thinking about writing and you're wondering what the actual strengths are. So you do have these books that move really fast and they play like a movie. And a lot of those books do really well. Those are what I would call a lot of mainstream thrillers and sci-fi and horror and stuff like that. They move in the way that a movie does because most people, I think, uh, especially of our age, grew up watching more movies than they were reading books with some exceptions. I'm definitely an exception to that. You might be an exception to that. Some of the people we're talking about might be exceptions to that. But yeah, most of them sort of mimic the pacing and framing of movies. And a book can do that, can totally do that, but it does other things too. Yeah, yeah. It can, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. Oh, all right, cool, cool. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so you had a hurricane recently. How was that? Oh man, it was uh, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> we were pre- we were preparing for the worst, and uh, a lot of people seems like they got. I mean, they definitely got the worst of it. Uh, fucking, of course, I guess just because we don't like to think about the islands or something. Nobody in the world is ever like, "Damn, Cuba got it bad" or whatever. But they got it pretty bad this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisiana, of course. We were preparing for the worst. We had a... And it really... It tells you the psychology of people around here whenever a hurricane is coming because up to the day that it was hitting, we were still like... Like, I was up at 3 in the morning checking the weather, like, looking at it on the radar and wondering whether I was going to go into work or not because, like, nothing was canceled. It was all like, ah, it's supposed to go east. It's like, why, like, why do you, why do you think so? Like, <laughs> what gives you this idea that you can decide what a hurricane is going to do? And which is exactly what happened around uh, Harvey. They're like, ah, it's not going to hit us, and uh, it didn't directly. Like Harvey didn't even actually hit us. It was like all the shit coming off of Harvey that brought so much rain, and then the fucking uh where it hit further up it kept bringing in floods like into our rivers 
mm-hmm. and like broke the levee and just washed everything out mm-hmm. and places that had never been flooded were just had like four feet of water and yeah. yeah so it's it's a weird i've been thinking a lot about how people around here especially but probably people in general just kind of their relationship to nature is to sort of uh disregard it or Mm. um it's it's like this this weird i feel like i'm optimistic i didn't think we were going to get it all that bad like us personally but we moved everything in from outside and uh you know we were ready we had gas we had the cooler and ice in case power went out and we had to throw shit into the cooler and uh you know just getting ready for the shit but everybody else is like nah it's going east we're good (laughs) and i'm like that's kind of childish like Mm -hmm. there's there's a real like there's this this thing that like the greeks would have described as some uh like five-headed god like just raging through the waters right now heading right towards us and it's you're very nonchalant about that (laughs) but no that's great man yeah that reminds me of people here with tornadoes my stepdad was in a tornado my mom wasn't there my mom was visiting my sister but my stepdad was in there uh they're triple wide and uh it's cemented down right so it's it's technically not a mobile home it's uh I think they call them designer homes because they they don't move, so they're not mobile. But anyway, the tornado ripped the roof off, and he was sitting in his office the whole time, I think just reading the Bible or something. And uh, he was like, it was loud. He was like, well, <laughs> were you scared? And he's like, no, no, not really. Which, I mean, <laughs> I mean, who knows? But also, he's super Christian, so there is this sort of sense with people who really are faithful they they're cool with it they're like hey if it's my time it's my time and they just sort of like go out and like look at it and in a way i kind of respect that where i don't respect it is when it you know puts other people in danger because you want to be able to both sort of have that attitude but if a tropical storm or a hurricane is coming to your coast and your employee lives five minutes from the coast, you might say, hey, man, take the day off tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Would have been nice is all I'm saying. Did You, you didn't get the day off the next day? No, no. <laughs> had to go in. <laughs> man, that job seems like it sucks ass, dude. Yeah, yeah, man. And and it's like, it sucks even more because I do what I, what I actually love to do, mm-hmm. which is like work with, you know, I build shit mm-hmm. and, uh, but it's just working for somebody else doing it. It's mm-hmm. a totally different vibe whenever I've been picking up more side jobs lately. And it's like, I have a blast. Like, it's just a joy to go. It's still working. It's like doing the same shit. But, and I was kind of worried that all of my time would be occupied by like, man, I go to work, I leave, I go to work. But it's like, it doesn't even feel like work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas work is like when i go to my day job it's like oh i can't wait to fucking get out of here yeah it almost seems like maybe people's problem with capitalism is bosses that might be people's actual problem absolutely it's people's natural i think well 
I'm going to take a step back there because I use the word natural. That's, that's a no-no. People tend to organize themselves into groups with hierarchies. And when you're in a, I'm also trying my best not to use the word capital anymore because it's so fucking overused. And I don't think it really describes what's going on well enough. Um, but when you enter into an agreement with somebody who has power and control over your time and your energy, that's where the hate really comes from. If you were, if your boss, if you were almost like a stripper where you could pay your boss a monthly rental fee for his workshop and, you know, get access to all the materials, all the tools, whatever, and you just paid either a flat rate or a percentage of what you made, but then you kind of went out and you got all your jobs, that to me seems like an ideal working scenario where you're like, look, I'll bring you money. I'll give it to it or I'll give it to you because at that point, people can make money off of having reserves of shit. You know what I mean? Like if I have a warehouse full of tools and lumber and somebody comes to me and they're like, look, I'm going to go get clients. I'll give you 16%, right? That seems like a good deal. Like it feels like I don't have to do shit, but bosses also want to control that aspect of it. And they just want to pay you hourly because that's where the more money is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get paid hourly at the day job, um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's under the guise of salary, but mm -hmm. I tried putting it on paper, like uh, like some actual terms to come to agreement with, and uh, he was like, nah, nah, we don't gotta be that legal about it, so right. it's, it's, it's basically hourly. I need to make sure that I hit my 40 and that I get compensated somehow if I go over 40, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then just to make, like, I, I could get a couple of jobs myself, do it in a weekend, and make the same amount of money. That's the most frustrating thing. That's what's been really difficult, like, for me to go back to work because I lost my job due to COVID. And uh, it's hard, man. Like, I did that job in El Paso because I was working with my buddy. And it was a cool job. It was, like, super laid back. I could show up. Unless we had kids that day, I could show up whenever I wanted to. If I got my work done, it was good. And that's really, I haven't had a day job like that since Portland when I worked at a Safeway. Um, but it's hard to go back. I mean, it's been fucking four or five years now since I've had a job like that. And I'm just like, because I do the editing, right? And it's like, if a good editing job comes down the pipeline, I'll make the same amount of money that I'd make in two weeks working at pretty much any day job around here, you know? So I'm just kind of like, why would I do that? I mean, I'd make more money. Maybe that's what people are talking about when they talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But I'm just like, no, I mean, I got like a... I mean, this is hypothetical. This isn't really what came in this month because it was a dry month. August is always a dry month. But like, if I get like a $700 job and then a $600 job and then a $500 job, so that's 1800 bucks. Not a ton of money by most people's standards, but if you live in Oklahoma, that's pretty good. And like 1800 bucks, I mean, 
there's no way I'd be pulling $900 checks at a regular job. That just would not fucking happen. You yeah, know what I mean? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And I'm done with those books in about, like each, each one of those books will take me about 10 hours. So we're saying for the whole month, I'm actually quote unquote working 30 hours. It's impossible. It's impossible to get me to go back. I'll never do it. (laughs) (laughs) So that being said, the job search is over. Fuck that shit. That's right. Yeah. I applied to one that had really good health care because that's where the tricky part comes in. If you can get really good health care, I mean, that's almost better than the salary than they're paying you. Just because I'm getting older and, you know, you need health care for stuff. And uh, yeah. I don't know, man. It's just like, that would be cool. It'd be cool if OU hired me. Um, but if not, I'm cool. I'm good. It's whatever. I'm, 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 a, I'm a lone wolf, dude. I'm on my own. Yeah, yeah. That is the tricky part when we do, because our end goal is to totally branch off, uh, quit our jobs. Both me and Erica uh, want to do our own thing. And uh, she gets really good health care at her job. Mm. And that's that's a, a big deal mm-hmm. around here. Yo, like maybe we, we just have... cracked it, dude. Maybe the reason why health care is such a shit show in America is because if it was easy to get, nobody would go to work. Yeah, probably not. I mean, <laughs> I mean... if it was cheap, bro, and... I mean, let's say insurance was just like 50 bucks a month and you, you had, you know, full comprehensive insurance for whatever you wanted. So you go to get a doctor's checkup, you pay like 30 bucks or something. Nobody would fucking go to work. Everybody would do odd jobs all the time. Everybody would just be out hustling, just looking like, <laughs> you know, fixing holes in roofs and, you know, like, like being independent plumbers, right? Like they have there'd to have so that control many mechanism. More landscapers. Dude, there'd be a ton of landscapers. And I've told you this before, man. It's like I think that you going out on your own and, and doing your own uh, you know, woodworking. I think you're really good with wood. I think you're you're a fantastic uh hand with wood. Um <laughs> <laughs> But for real, like I feel like you guys could uh I feel like you guys could do that and you it could be scary at times, but I think you'd be surprised how fast you make connections, especially if you steal your boss's client list. If you can get your hands on that client list, it's done. Because then you just just undercut the motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll do this for $1,000 less. Mm -hmm. Who's going to say no? Like, you've been doing the work anyway. So if you say, hey, guess what? You'll get the same same level of quality, but I'll charge you 1000 bucks less. Put them out of business in a fucking in six months, be done. I'm up for it. <laughs> yeah, why not? But I think that especially because of COVID and things shutting down, I think that it's it's going to be one of two things, man. It's going to be going to work for Amazon or finding a way to do your own thing and and making uh, they call it they call it agorism, right? Agorism is this uh, underground economy. It's not necessarily illegal, but it's just people kind of doing their own things. A lot of the time it's illegal, but, you know, like all the stuff that you're supposed to have a permit for. You saw with COVID that, uh, you know, gyms shut down. So people just opened up gyms secretly 
like speakeasy gyms and charge people out the ass to go to these gyms. <laughs> but it was all clandestine and they had to know a secret password and, you know, and cops eventually, I think, busted it. Actually, I don't know if they ever did. But anyway, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of shit like that. That kind of sounds awesome. Yeah, right. I'd love to go to a secret gym mm-hmm. where I have to have the password to get in. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the password every day is gains, bro. It's just gains. <laughs> it's like got so many members and it's like, how are there so many fucking members in a secret underground gym? Well, the password is just gains, bro. Like, <laughs> But we, we change it every week. It goes from gains to gains, bro, to gains, bro, two, to gains, bro, password. But, um, but no, yeah, I think you got this, bro. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the way I see a whole lot of people going, mm-hmm. um, or that I would encourage a lot of people to go because, like you said, shit's gonna get real weird. You're gonna pretty much just be working for Amazon, or some. I mean, shit, COVID destroyed so many fucking small businesses, mm-hmm. and it's not even like small businesses were like. Uh, like, I work for a small business. I don't work for some big corporation. Like, you know, small businesses suck, too. Mm-hmm. But, Bro, when I move furniture, my boss still owes me $400. Still. Because he went out of business, and then he was like, well, I don't, here's the rest of your pay. And I was like, I, you owe me $400. He was like, well, anyway, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? At that point, it's like, what are you gonna do? You gonna sue somebody for four hundred bucks just to be petty and take him to the people's court? Um, I brought that guy up the other day, and Rios remembered of all people. Rios is like, that motherfucker owes you four hundred dollars. I was like, damn, Rios never forgives ever. She's got she's got a <laughs> Rolodex of everybody who's wronged us. <laughs> Our wives are so similar in how savage they are. Oh yeah, Eric is like that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're not going to get over on her with money or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, she's not a she's not a forgiving, not a forgiving one. <laughs> What's well, taking money out of the baby's mouth? How's the baby, by the way? He's doing good. Yeah. He's doing really good. Mm-hmm. He has, like, he's already got his two-year molars. Uh, he's, like, 15 months old. Mm. So Growing up yeah. fast, man. I saw him dancing oh, to... Uh, what was he dancing to? I forget. Soldier Boy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's cute. It's funny. He had more rhythm when he was just figuring out, like before he could walk, when he was just sitting. Before the whiteness like, took hold. Yeah, yeah. Before more of the white came to the surface. <laughs> now he just, he likes to do that happy feet thing where he just kind of stomps real fast in place. Oh, dude, that's moshing, man. That's moshing. You got to play a minor threat or something. Hopefully, you'll probably. That must down. be the problem. I introduced him to more corn and system of a down, and now he just wants to like walk real fast in place. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to mosh. That's hilarious, dude. That's so funny. It's yeah. You just you see everything that we do is just stuff that we were already doing when we were babies. We just put more names on it. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's like, I was watching him uh, pick things up and put them in. Like, he likes to take his toys and put them in any kind of container, like find a lunchbox or mm-hmm. a, a shelf or something, and like set it there. Like he's he's decorating, and uh, I was watching him do this, and I was like, 
man, he's like a little person. Yep. Yeah. They just already know. They already know what to do. <laughs> and I don't know if it's from watching grownups. I don't think so, though. I think babies just kind of know. No, so much is like just instinct or like DNA. Um, I hadn't, I'd say he was probably six months old because he was big enough to be pulling himself up, but he wasn't walking yet. Or uh, I don't even think he was crawling that much. But I had never like swatted him or like, you know, anything like that. We're taking the like no spanking approach. Good. I like and, that. That's good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not into spanking either. Yeah. I used, you know, I actually used to be like, man, all these kids' problems is their parents don't hit them anymore. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was actually a, it was some racist comedian that talked me out of that of all people. Oh, really? Um, Who? Uh, fuck Louis J. Gomez. Oh, yeah. A, yeah. That guy rocks. He is racist. Yeah. Though. Yeah, <laughs> but he uh, he had said something about how he doesn't want to correct um, violent, or he I don't even think he said violence. He doesn't want to correct his kids' uh, dis- misbehavior with violence. And I was like, I don't know, it's such a simple thing, and I've probably even mm-hmm. heard it before, but I was like, holy shit. Well, and when yeah. it comes from a guy like Lewis, who grew up in, like his mother was a crackhead, and his dad got shot to death when he was a baby. Um, and he just kind of grew up in this worst environment ever of, you know, getting his ass beat all the time. Uh, see, he, like most people just pass that on. But I think it's like, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to say like, you know what, that shit stops here. Like we're not doing that anymore. And I think he's fucking right, dude. I mean, I got, I got maybe a dozen spankings in my life. I remember one time I was with my grandma. Uh, she's from, she grew up on a farm in Louisiana. And so I guess she had like that, that strength, you know, but mm-hmm. she gave me the worst one. Cause I like went to go jump out of the car uh, really fast and a car was coming and she like grabbed me by my shirt and just yanked me off of my feet and into her lap in the spank position and just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> and I've always been careful around cars. And of course, you know, in my personal life, because, you know, I've gotten into arguments with my, or my, my dad gave me a spanking once for being a dickhead at my birthday party. Um, my mom slapped me in the face because I said I was going to leave home. So I don't necessarily hold grudges against those people, but you'll notice, like, I remember it. You notice how I remember all that shit? <laughs> so that tells yeah. you something. Yeah, and you don't remember it in a way that's like, oh, fuck, if, you know, if I do this or if I, you know, misbehave in any kind of way, get off the straight and narrow, then I'm going to get a beating. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you just remember it as like, it's it's an imprint. Like, right. it, it's sort of like a betrayal that you remember. Yeah, you do kind of remember. Yeah, you remember how much it, it, yeah, it does. Like, I remember when my mom slapped me and my mom and I have like, one of the best relationships ever. I'm a total mama's boy, but when I said that I was going to leave, I remember that whole thing in slow motion where she just cracked me one real good. I think I was like 12. And when it happens, you're like, oh shit. It feels like everything fell apart at that moment. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. feel like your life fell apart. 
It's a very traumatic experience, dude. Again, 100% do not hold a grudge about it, but I just wouldn't do it myself. My dad uh, threw me over a car one time for Damn. disrespecting my mom. Damn. And uh, he, he and I have a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was like, even, it was like in that moment, that was not my dad. Like this was a motherfucker who was going to rip my head off. Yeah, I had that with my stepdad. Yeah, when my mom uh, married my stepdad, we moved into his place. But so our relationship was like super strained. And then I had gotten into a kind of like just dumb argument with my mom about something. Um, And yeah, I remember my stepdad coming out and just, you know, very muscular dude. And he just like, he and I are totally cool now. Like we're going to go fishing soon. Uh, we, We play cards together. He's a great guy, really good card player, actually. Um, but yeah, and like I'll never really forget that moment where I was like, you know, his fists were balled up, and I was like, this dude's gonna fuck me up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he probably, at sixty years old, he probably could still fuck me up. Probably. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, no, it's just not a good idea to uh, to hit kids, man. It it it, no. it it doesn't work the way people think it does. No, even when it kind of works, mm-hmm. and even when the kids think it works, like, yeah, no, I didn't get into this because my parents would whoop me. Mm-hmm. It's like, but didn't you anyways? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> You're saying you were a good kid, but I know that, like, we smoked dope together, and mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> Well, dude, don't yeah, that's the mean. thing, bro. It's like kids are just going to do that, right? Kids are just going to be bad. I was one of the best kids up to about 12. I was like a goody two shoes like teacher's pet type kid and then nothing that really happened made that switch get flipped but when that switch did flip it was a stark contrast pretty much for the rest of my life you know what i mean like that was just that was just gone and i don't really think there's anything either of my parents could have done about that like that was just gonna happen yeah i have to the same exact story like i was an angel and then a flip just switched right and uh my mom even still will ask about you know this and that what if this was different what if that was different like do you think you would have been i'm just like nah like it happened no matter what (laughs) didn't you have somebody that you were close to get into a lot of trouble though um i grew up with my uncle slash cousin my cousin who was my adoptive uncle we grew up like brothers kind of a weird relationship yeah no he he is probably never getting out of prison now what what happened what did he get convicted of he got uh it was i looked up his actual convictions and it because he got indicted on like 12 different felonies Mm -hmm. um he got charged with five or six of them and it was like possession and distribution Mm -hmm. uh but the main was like counterfeit um production of money and right uh the way he got caught was they were he and his girlfriend who was just this crazy bitch uh they were outside of a gas station arguing like they'd been there for like 30 minutes at the pump just yelling at each other going inside and coming back out and just Mm -hmm. fighting in the parking lot and uh the cops rolled up and found like 
drugs and fake money and yikes and they'd already been you know he had priors already on shit and mm-hmm. they've been following him and all this kind of shit so it all came crumbling down because they they couldn't shut up at a gas station <laughs> that is but, funny dude this is one of the big questions in fiction right so and it's one of the things that i've 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 spent a lot of my time that i write i try to figure out how people actually break bad so there is a show called breaking bad that does that in kind of like a weird stylistic way i i, I like the show a lot but we're both talking about how we were really good kids and then we had these kind of really troubled uh, uh teenage years and stuff like that like what do you think makes people go bad like that i can't i can't say that it's born into you because it it uh i think you have the capability born into you like i at any time there's things keeping me from going back mm-hmm. but i could mm-hmm. like, like your kid um, and your wife and shit like that y- yeah that's pretty much it like if i didn't have that then i'd i'd still be doing shit is it because be being bad is fun yeah yeah and it's uh it's more um free like you have to i think that's the sacrifice of having a family is uh like you know you have to give up that um which I'm trying to word this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm dissing family because mm-hmm. obviously I would if I cared more about that shit I'd be doing it versus mm-hmm. but I care about my family more mm-hmm. but uh no it it is like I mean it's like if you relate it to like the wild west days or something you know the people who are like, you know, fuck all this colonization, this progression of, you know, the railroads and shit, fuck all that. We're going to ride around and take what we want and just live, you know, how we want. And you're not going to tell us what to do. I'm not getting a job. I'm not doing all that bullshit. It's, yeah, I guess it's just more fun, more uh, free feeling to an extent, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it is like, illegal to live that kind of way so right Right. yeah it's like being like less scared basically you know if if maybe uh and this might be sounding like i'm i'm kind of gassing guys like you and me up but is it possible that dudes like you and me just aren't quite as afraid of the consequences maybe yeah and that's what it is i got some consequences now like there are consequences to if i were to do anything, you know, mm-hmm. like I would lose my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before it was like the consequences, what that like I at the worst end up dead at the least end up in jail or something like I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's basically there are people because I am actually terrified of jail. I guess maybe that never occurred to me. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. But like, <laughs> yeah, you, you just... Well, you get high on that sense of freedom when you're really uh, kind of breaking the law and getting away with it and partying and having fun and hanging out with other people who are doing that and developing these kind of bonds. You you just get, you're just high all the time on all these different things. And in a way, that's kind of a beautiful way to live if you don't hurt anybody while you do it. 
but it's kind of a great way to live to just not be afraid of anything you know um but then yeah once you get a family like for me it's like i know what happens to me if rios goes away you know what i mean like i know where i'll be <laughs> and it won't mm-hmm. be good mm-hmm. yeah same you want to talk about anything that you're writing to close this shit out you want to end it on a writing talk yeah i'm i'm working on a a couple of things um one of the things I was working on got halted by COVID because I was trying to be real personal, uh, meet with a bunch of local rappers and uh, was trying to do a simultaneous docu-series and like um, essay collection of uh, like what it means to be an artist here and the psychogeography of like the working class art scene. And uh, so I'm, Still working on something like that, but it's going to take a longer time because it's kind of weird yeah, you just gotta getting wait together for, with people now. Yeah, you got to wait for the fake virus to be over. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm writing a thing about the fake virus. And, uh, Ooh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, I don't think I'm even going to... I don't want it to be like relevant, quote unquote, like just of the moment or anything because... Uh, it seems like if you try to write of the moment, then the moment slips by the time you're you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which would be great because I'm ready for this shit to be over. Mm-hmm. But uh, just this whole thing has been fascinating from a writer's standpoint of how people turned on their heads. Like relationship dynamics changed, work changed, like everything is just fucking weird. And uh, so I'm working on something just kind of anecdotal about different things along that um, along that nature. Trying to, I think it's really a. I mean, it's not. It's definitely. It's not like a romance novel, but it's a lot of. Uh, it's very relationship focused. Like what mm-hmm. uh, when the, I guess when the world is kind of up in flames, like what that can do realistically to a to a couple mm-hmm. and uh and then i'm and then i'm working on a hurricane related thing Timely. sort of a yeah yeah i was hoping that because with my last uh i've always been conscious of uh cause i dabble in like chaos magic and shit and um I'm a big fan of Alan Moore, and so I always am conscious of the, you know, the invisible story of how King Mob, you know, would have something happen to him, and that would translate into Moore's real life. And I, uh, you're talking about Morrison, Grant Morrison. Oh God damn it! (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I always confuse both of them, and I was sure I got this right this time. No worries. I was with you. I don't know why that is. Because they both write comics? They both or... write comics. They're mortal enemies, I guess. So, you know, it's easy to just sort of confuse the two. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Apologies, Grant. I know you're listening. Yeah. He, he follows me on Twitter, dog, so maybe. Oh, damn. He's definitely listening. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> Fuck Alan Moore. I meant Grant Morrison. Uh, 
but with uh with way we came in i wrote a character who didn't have a leg and the whole time i was writing that i had these like weird phantom pains in my leg and i was like oh fuck so i don't know if it just got into my head that was going on and then with this hurricane book and it was like tropical storm laura is coming i was like oh shit i've done it again (laughs) yeah yeah well i think that the the important thing to do from a chaos magic perspective with that is to properly banish i think that's the most important thing is to have rituals around the writing that you do uh especially when you're done writing um just just banish it you know um i think if it starts to linger what happens is that you know, everything that you do that's an interaction with the universe is responded to by the universe in turn, and that includes writing. But if you have a little ritual when you get done where you sort of cordon that shit off and say, like, you know, this is in the imaginal, and uh, these are things that I do not want to manifest in the world, I think you're okay. Because I've been thinking about this shit a lot, too. I mean, I've had similar fears especially with like my black gum series about like well do i want anything bad to happen to any of these characters who are very explicitly based on people who i know and i think you're okay if you just banish that makes sense well thanks for coming on the uh the first interview episode that i've done in in a year and a half i think it went okay right sounds i think it's there's some good nuggets in there yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, anybody listening to us talk for an hour is going to get something out of it.